Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. What goes into research? How do you think about questions? How do you think about answering those questions? How do you gather the data to try to answer those questions? And what do you do when you have all of that data? That's what we're gonna be talking about today. The Pre-Med Year, session number 490. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the pre-med years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited about this episode for a few reasons, the least of which is to help you better understand research if you're potentially interested in exploring it. Before we jump in, though, I want to talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Selecting a test date is hard. The most important thing to know is that you need to take the MCAT when you are ready. How do you know when you're going to be ready? Create a free study plan over at blueprintmcat.com. Select a date that you may be interested in taking the MCAT and see what that schedule is going to look like for you. You get that free study planner tool with a free account over at blueprintmcat.com. All right, so let's talk about research. Before we talk about that, though, I want you to go potentially to premedsurvey.com. That is where there will be a survey that we are doing, myself, Dr. Elaine Reno, Dr. Tiffany Chan, and Dr. Matthew Grace are going to be researching the impact of COVID on you, the pre-med student. In today's episode, I'm talking to Dr. Tiffany Chan, Assistant Clinical Professor in the Department of Radiology at UCLA, and Dr. Matthew Grace, Assistant Professor of Sociology at Hamilton College. And we're going to talk about, number one, research and what goes into research and how we think about research. And while we're talking about that research, we're going to be talking about the research that we're doing. And I was lucky enough to be kind of dragged into this team through my friend, Dr. Elaine Reno, emergency medicine physician here at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. And we are going to be looking at the effects of COVID-19 on you, the pre-med student. Has it increased your likelihood of wanting to be a physician? Has it decreased your likelihood of wanting to be a physician? If you complete this research, this survey, which is, it's not a long survey. If you complete the survey, you'll be entered to win either a $100 gift card to Amazon or one of five sessions, 45-minute sessions with me. So uh, go do that research. We're looking for a few thousand respondents. So I'm heavily going to lean on you and ask you to take a little bit of time, again, to go to premedsurvey.com and fill out that survey. Let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to say hello to, again, Dr. Tiffany Chan and Dr. Matthew Grace. Tiffany, Matt, welcome to the pre-med year. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks, thanks for having us. Tiffany, let's start with you, the doctor in the room besides me. Matt, Matt are you a doctor? <laughs> I mean, I'm not a real doctor. You're, but uh, you're a doctor, doctor. I, you, you got the title. Uh, I think it depends on who you ask. <laughs> Um, you're my not, parents, you're not my parents in. would say he's a doctor, but uh, I think you're 
yeah. anybody else. You you're, you're not walking yeah. into the hospital saying, hey, I'm Dr. Matt here. <laughs> Certainly not. Uh, you'd be in trouble if you're looking for me to for any sort of medical <laughs> advice. Or well, that's, that's awesome. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out what your expertise is in, in one second. But Tiffany, okay. um, as a physician in the room, you... Um, as as we dive into our topic today, talking about research, why do you like doing research as a physician? Well, that's a very tough. <laughs> or question. maybe you so, don't. <laughs> uh, let me let me let me start off by saying that yes, I do like research, but I didn't necessarily always. Okay, yeah. so research is always something that you're told needs to be on your application, yeah. basically at any stage, right? Whether you're trying to get into med school, trying to get in a residency fellowship a titanium position, everything. So I would say, you know, in the beginning, um, I started off by doing research in undergrad. I worked in a molecular biology lab, working with C. elegans. Shout out to anybody who has <laughs> done similar work. C. elegans and Drosophila, right, are like the two big ones. Yep. Um, but I really didn't know what I was doing. I was, I was doing things that people were telling me to do. I was trying to get involved in the papers, but it wasn't really what my passion was. You were checking the boxes. The best thing, I was checking boxes. Yep. And I knew that having publications in well-known journals and being first author or last author, those sort of things really, really help, okay? And I, and I still think that's very important for all applicants, like I said. I would say that as a physician, um, being an attending now, it's really great that I get to choose my research interests, okay? Mm -hmm. So for me, my passion is really about medical education. Um, it also pretty much like um, quality improvements, workflow sort of things, things that, you know, have a tangible sort of result or benefit for myself, my colleagues, my patients. So for me, research is a way to explore these questions um, and to really provide a solution to day to day things yeah. and to really impact patient care. Um, I also disclosure, um, I was a biology and English double major in college. So for me, I really enjoy writing and communicating. So those things, which typically can be tough for maybe the more scientifically oriented or the people who are really glad to no longer have to write uh, essays and that sort of thing. I actually really enjoy that. So for me, research seemed pretty natural. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, what started off as checking boxes has turned more into uh, something that you're, you're more passionate about because you're doing it for you. I'm doing topics that I yeah. that, that you feel passionately about. Yeah. And I think that's what helps you. That was, that's what helps drives you um, yeah. to see things to fruition. And honestly, that's what um, you know, every selection committee is looking for. They don't want to hear about your million projects that are you know, half completed. They want to see that you go through an entire project to completion because that shows a lot about you as a person mm -hmm. um, and how you do in academics. So that's that's kind of my definitely, take on it. Definitely. And and the the Dr. Matt in the room, the non-physician <laughs> Dr. Matt, um, yeah. how did you get involved in this, uh, this research world, uh, especially hanging out with some physicians now? Yeah. So I'm, uh, you know, I was very fortunate as an undergrad. I think that the, the research opportunities are, a little bit more scarce if you're in the social sciences, whereas, mm -hmm. you know, being, being at a college and working with, with lots of pre-medical students, it seems like there are lots of opportunities to get involved in labs on campus or um, with different companies or, or certainly medical research at, at other colleges and universities. And so I was just very, uh, I was very fortunate enough to work on some independent research as an undergrad. Yeah. And, um, and then I, I, I sort of parlay that into a research assistantship. And then from there, I went to graduate school. Um, but in terms of, you know, pre, how did I get wrapped up in studying pre-meds? Um, you know, the longer answer to that is, I guess, that I've always, a lot of, a lot of uh, other social scientists who study medical education, I think that many of them would say that they're failed pre-meds, <laughs> right? And like, that's why they're interested in studying pre-medical students or graduate medical education. Um, uh, that certainly was not the case for me. Um, you know, I, blood is not like my, one of my favorite things. Uh, biology and chemistry are not my best subjects, I would say. And so, um, you know, I think part of it is just, uh, you know, I, I definitely remember being like my freshman year in college, being on a floor with a whole bunch of pre-medical students and thinking like these people are maniacs. I just, yes, they, study, they study yeah, all the time. Wrong. They're in the lab constantly. It's yeah. just, and I, I think, you know, and then I, I think that it, 
I slowly transitioned from kind of being perplexed by pre-medical students to developing a real admiration for them, especially, you know, as I've transitioned to becoming a, a faculty member and, and working pretty extensively with pre-medical students, I just have so much admiration for young people who, um, from such a, and that, again, like as an, as an 18-year-old, it was hard for me to wrap my head around, like, how can you be this age and know exactly what it is that you want to do with the rest of your life? Not that, Oh, yeah, obviously I not still wonder. You, yeah. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> not that that can't change, but you know, I just, uh, to, to be dead so dedicated to something, yeah. um, and, and just have the, um, you know, the capacity and the dedication to see it through I yeah. think is, is always something that's really impressive. And it's obviously, it's a very noble career. Um, and so that, that kind of in the back of my head, I was always interested in, in pre-medical students and what mm. the thought process is, the challenges that they face. And, and then at a practical level, just in, in being in grad school and reading up on this kind of the area and what's been done in medical education, it struck me that there were all these really classic studies of graduate medical education, but not really. Um, there was a few studies in like the early 80s in my discipline mm. in sociology um, uh, that focused on pre-meds, but not really much since. And so it, it just seemed like, wow, this seemed, it seems like this is an area that has been understudied, but we're looking kind of further down the pipeline rather than looking upstream and seeing like what is happening that's determining mm-hmm. who gets into medical school in the first place, what, what types of factors, uh, social, academic, or otherwise, either lead people to persist or, or fall yeah. away from that academic track. And so then... Um, you know, and that, and that that's sort of, uh, I guess, a very much longer-winded answer yeah. than I initially intended to, to give you a sense of kind of how I, I got involved in studying that's pre-meds perfect. and pre-medical education. Yeah. So I, I'm interested, what we'll do today um, for, for the listener is talk about kind of how research kind of forms, um, how we start thinking about the questions, what we're looking for, how we gather that data, uh, and then and then potentially how we analyze that data. Um, and then we'll talk about specifically what research we're doing as well, because um, at, at the end of this episode, we'll tell some students to go somewhere and, and take a survey and ask some questions, <laughs> uh, because that's that's the goal of, of life, is to continue to ask questions, I think, and figure out why, why are we here? Why are we here? So Matt, you had just mentioned, right, just this interest of like how at 18 years old does someone realize that they want to go to medical school and they go and do four years of undergrad and four years of med school and three to whatever many years of, of residency. Is that really all it takes to to formulate kind of a question that you're like, okay, that's my question. Now I'm going to go figure out how to research it. So, so from a research 101 perspective – it, mm-hmm. If a student is potentially interested in doing research, like yeah. where do they start? That's a, that's a very good question. Um, I think that there are there are different ways to go about identifying a research question. I, uh, the two that I, you know, often fall back on one is more academic, and one is more, you know, if you if you're uh, reading the news, if you're on social media. There are things happening in the world, right? Constantly happening in the world around us that are often related to medicine or health or healthcare that might catch your eye. And that can often be a great place to start, right? Like you see a news coverage of a topic and it generates some sort of interest, right? Or, or maybe it taps into some intrinsic interest that you have in an issue. And, and it's often things that, that touch your personal life or, you know, maybe the lives of family members or close friends. And so I think a great place to start is just if you're a consumer of information or the news, Mm -hmm. uh, that can be a great place to look for inspiration. Another thing, and so I often, you know, I teach research methods and I I advise students as they work on independent projects. And so I think another great place to start is just to identify what are the things that you're passionate about kind of topically or in terms, you know, just subject matter and really do a deep dive on that topic. And so we are so fortunate to live in this day and age where vast amounts of information are just instantaneously accessible at our fingertips, right? So I think even to just go to, you know, Google Scholar or to, to you know, your library on, if you're on, you know, a college campus, there are people who do this for a living, right? To who can help you 
deep dive into a topic. And so the, the place that I often, if I'm beginning a research project or begin, or if I'm just thinking about like, what are, what are researchable questions? I think you really need to get a footing in terms of what the literature is on that topic. So usually, mm-hmm. you know, usually what I'll do is I'll try to identify something of interest, a topic, okay, pre-meds, right? And then I will try to identify as much as has been written on that topic by folks in my field and in adjacent fields and just do a very deep reading. And, you know, you start to see that there are some gaps in the literature or in our knowledge base on that topic. And then you can start to think about, okay, is this question, do we know anything about it? And then I think there's also just a a human level, is it an interesting question? Because we have questions about all sorts of things, but they're not necessarily interesting questions, right? (laughs) And so that's, that's why it's useful to do things like, you know, be part of a research project with a team where you can bounce ideas off of one another and you figure out, is this just my own really weird idiosyncratic interest, right? Yeah. Or is this broadly appealing and something that touches other people's lives in, in ways that are meaningful? So I think that those are two great places to start is, you know, keeping, you know, a finger on the pulse of what's going on in the world around you. And then also doing a deep dive in the in the literature and seeing, well, what's been done on this topic and is there a place for you to, to initiate a project mm. like this? Yeah, that's good. So, so Tiffany, as we're talking about this, uh, listening to Matt here, talk about social sciences, pre-meds will be like, well, that's useless. I can't do social science research. <laughs> I need to be in a wet lab and, and study whatever fruit flies, because that's what everyone studies, um, or yeah. C. elegans. Um, like what's the value of of research that's outside of a, a wet lab and and just about life and and the questions about who we are and those those kinds of questions well i think gaining the experience um early on is really what is valuable okay yeah. so i i can't say that using the yeast to hybrid system for c elegance has affected too much of my life <laughs> either personally or professionally, okay? I'm sorry to, you know, my amazing PI and all the mentors I had. But what they did give me, though, I think was a very solid foundation for which I could start looking at research projects. Mm. And it was something, like I said, you know, it's it's just kind of a given that if you want to go to medical school and you want to proceed, then you have to just be involved in some projects. And I, I do think that the challenge um, from the pre-med side or even at the medical student level uh, is just finding some good topics for which uh, there are questions. Because you may feel overwhelmed and say, hey, okay, I want to go into endocrine, um, but I have no idea, you know, what questions uh, are left in endocrine. I don't even know where to start. So my suggestion is, is what I would do is that you can always start shadowing a mentor, for instance, or even just message the endocrinologist at your institution and say, hey, you know, I'm potentially thinking about this field. Can I just come hang out with you in clinic for a day or so? When you establish that relationship, then you can kind of look to your attending to say, hey, like, what are some ideas? What are some disparities or whatever that you see on a day to day that you think would be useful for further investigation? Because they're the ones who are going to know more about the literature, what's happening in society for their specific field. I think having like hooking yourself up to a good mentor or, you know, it could even be a resident or another med student, a senior med student, for instance, thinking in a group, I think is very useful. I honestly did not start thinking of my own true research questions until I became an attending. Mm. Up until this point, I very much was part of a team. I certainly had ideas that I would bounce off my teammates and that sort of thing. But there were definitely people that were more senior than me that had more background. Now, even at my stage, right, I've been an attending for three years. There are still many, many uh, physicians that are more senior than me. So I still look to those people for guidance. But generally now I'm able to kind of tell what questions I can ask. And like Matt was saying, you need to know if it's relevant or not. There are many things that you may wonder about, but you need to know what is the clinical, if you're talking about medicine, Mm -hmm. what's the clinical relevance of this? Is this, what is it going to affect? Will it affect patient care to a significant amount? Um, where it's actually worth doing? Is it going to affect, let's say, med student education, where if it was implemented, it would do something different? So what's what's the whole point is the first question. And then I think maybe the second one is just like, what's the practical aspect of this? Can I get this project done using this amount of resources that I have? If you have an implementation, for instance, that will require many 
different classes or some really, really high up person uh, to help you come to fruition, then it might be a little tough. Or let's say that you are in your third year of med school and you really want to get a project done. But the thing you're looking at might take three or four years to complete. Then those are kind of the practical aspects that you have to consider when when embarking on a project. Yeah. Um, but I think those are the kind of main things that I would think about at at the medical level, honestly. So it's it's interesting. You mentioned endocrine. I I grew up. My dad was a type one diabetic, so so diabetes is always big on my mind. And it was very interesting because I think if we say, hey, let's go study diabetes, most pre meds and medical students and potentially attendings will go to, okay, let's draw some blood, let's look at blood, let's look at uh, how blood levels affect um, the artery linings and and vessels and all of that stuff. And, and it's funny because I went to what well, would be very interesting to see income levels compared to blood sugar mm-hmm, levels mm-hmm. and, and uh, control of blood sugar as a diabetic, right? Getting more to the social side of it that may affect policy outside of medical education or the pharmaceutical world. How do we affect policy as well? So those are the types of questions that I love going to for students is, is you don't have to think just about the, the science science and just think about life and and patient impact, policy impact, medical ed- education impact as that's, well. That's absolutely that's absolutely true. So I, you know I, you know in the beginning I too felt that research meant like bench work, okay. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of started realizing that like that's what PhDs are for, and that's what they're very good at, and what they spend their time doing. That does not mean obviously that if you are wanting to be an MD that you can't do that. In fact, there are many tracks, right, where you can do MD, PhD, or you're an MD who does a lot of clinical trials. So there's so many opportunities for a fusion of both. But if you're someone maybe similar to me, you kind of look at the more human aspects of research. And let me tell you this, my most recent publication um, in general breast imaging was literally about social media and how we've been using virtual shadowing for my specialty breast radiology. Mm. That's not a very typical research sort of topic, okay? Who knew that you can make a project out of Instagram, right? And doing a PowerPoint that's being shared on YouTube and that sort of thing. But it was a question that I had asked. I, I was basically recruited to give a presentation and I thought to myself, is this really impacting students? Like, has this been done before? And of course, it wasn't as popular prior to COVID. Um, and so that was just another reason for this novel concept. I was yeah. able to create a project out of something that is not a traditional science sort of thing, but it still got accepted in a scientific journal because it affects people. That's yeah. really what it comes down to. That's awesome. So let's talk about uh, the questions that that we're asking for our study. Uh, and I can tell students now, if you go to premedsurvey.com, you can you can check out this, the survey that, that we're putting out there. And, and hopefully lots of you will fill it out and we'll gather some data. Uh, but what, what was the question that led to putting together this team and, and recruiting Matt, recruiting me uh, with you and Dr. Elaine Reno, an emergency medicine physician out here at, at University of Colorado? Well, you know, we had seen how COVID um, impacted how students view different specialties. Mm-hmm. Let me correct that. I mean, how, how they attempt to learn about different specialties. So initially, we realized that, obviously, with, with concerns of the pandemic, there were not as many in-person sort of opportunities for people to learn. We kind of drew a, a part, another project based off of that foundation, asking how does COVID really affect pre-med perceptions of what it's like to be a doctor. And, you know, this goes into many, there's many different ways we can look at this. And this is all kind of part of the survey. But overall, it's really asking, you know, what was kind of your baseline perspective of being a physician, becoming a physician, that whole path, and then how COVID has kind of affected it, if it has at all. Um, You know, COVID has been a huge strain on especially frontline healthcare workers. It's affected, um, pretty much all physicians, even for those like me who are not in the emergency room um, and we're not not working in the ICU. I work in the outpatient setting and I detect breast cancer. I definitely see COVID affecting my patients because they are skipping their screening mammograms. Totally reasonable because there's so much that happened in the last two years. If, if I was a GI doctor, I'd be saying the same thing about screening colonoscopies. Okay. So COVID really has affected every, has affected patients, providers, et cetera. Our goal with this project is really to see what you guys have experienced as a result of COVID. And everybody's experience is different. And that's what we want to learn from you. 
Yeah. So, so Matt, when you hear that question and, and you're kind of recruited because you've, you've been out there, the crazy person that wants to study pre-meds, when you hear that question, what goes through your mind to go, okay, here's how we need to, to formulate these questions to get to where we want to go? Yeah. I, you know, I, we're talking about a, a group of individuals who, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm biased because I've studied pre-meds an awful lot, but arguably it's like the most demanding academic track at the undergraduate level. It's, it's, you know, I mean, it's not really a track, right? But yeah. you have to take the prereqs and um, informally, at least we probably can think about it as a, an occupational or professional pathway, mm-hmm. right? And, and just listening to you both talk a little bit before about like checking boxes, it has always been a challenge and an uphill climb to get into medical schools. And so um, I've been curious, you know, just kind of sitting on the sidelines through this whole thing, thinking about pre-meds and some of the people who I, I worked with and, you know, who I work with every day and, and certainly in past research, like wondering what they're going through and what pre-meds are, are going through now. Tiffany was talking about some of the challenges of, well, you know, there are certainly expectations when you're applying that you're going to have some degree of clinical exposure and experience, but what happens when you can't be in person anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Or when these volunteer experiences that, you know, are so typical of successful applicants also just evaporate. And so a lot of the research that I do both on pre-meds and just in general looks at the type, we you know, when people experience adversity, how does it affect their mental health? How does it affect their academic performance? And so I, just looking at the variety of ways in which people have been impacted by this pandemic, right? I mean, over a million people in this country alone have died. And if you think about young people, um, you know, the research on bereavement, if you look at who's been most affected by loss, it's, it's basically young adults who fall into the age bracket of being pre-medical students, mm-hmm. right? So whether it's grandparents or parents, uh, by and large, you can imagine that that reorients your whole outlook, whether it's on your career or on your life, right? I mean, that's a huge thing to have, unexpected thing, especially yeah. um, given the way that the, the virus has kind of indiscriminately affected families throughout the United States. Um, you have people who are experiencing potentially for the first time economic hardship, right? So comfortably, you know, middle class, maybe even lower middle, lower middle class, and certainly uh, working class people where all of a sudden the unemployment rate spikes to 14% in the first month of the pandemic. Well, what does that, what does that mean if you're a pre-med student, you're trying to check all these boxes and in the background, you're worrying about where am I going to get my next meal, right? Or is my family going to be okay? Or do I need to scale back academically and pick up a job to help my family? And so all these, you know, there are all these really big things going on in the world right now. And at the same time, we're worried about, rightfully so, the mental health and the well-being of our medical workforce, who, you know, many people who are very burned out by what they've had to endure the last two years for a variety of, you know, whether it's policy failures or otherwise, um, and just the the nature of, of the pandemic. And so I think it's really important to understand looking kind of upstream and thinking about the people who are entering this profession, what are the challenges they're facing? How is that leading some people to who otherwise are qualified and would make excellent positions to maybe have second thoughts about whether or not it's a possibility for them? Yeah. Um, so as somebody who studies inequality and who cares very deeply about these issues, and especially as they relate to, to medicine, um, uh, you know, when I got that email, I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't pass up the opportunity to, to be a part of this. And, and I think, you know, to, to answer your question, then you start to think about, well, okay, how do we measure these different hardships that people might face academically or in their personal lives? And so, you know, a great place to start anytime you're, you're working on research is to look for um, studies that have asked similar types of questions. And certainly um, when you think about whether it's like, so if you're looking at mental health, if that's something you're interested in, there are plenty of these psychometrically validated scales that you can go to psychology or psychiatry for. If you're interested in um, educational outcomes, right? There are folks who have PhDs in education and in higher education where you can 
you can look for inspiration or for wording for questions. And then I think part of it too is to, you know, if you, if you have questions out there that maybe there isn't a scale that exists, right? Then how can you develop and devise questions that are meaningful to people, that are intelligible, and that actually tap into the types of things that you care about? And I think that that's a great place. And it seems like this is a theme that we've been talking about, and Tiffany mentioned this as well, but the importance of a team and having people you can bounce ideas off of and to surround yourself with people who care about and are passionate about these same um, issues. Uh, I think if, you know, if enough people who care and are dedicated, put their heads together, you can come up with, you know, in our case, certainly a survey that we're hoping can address some of these questions, but any project that you might be interested in, um, you, you know, reading the literature, seeing what's been done, brainstorming novel ideas and questions, um, that can get you on track to start a project. Yeah. So Tiffany, as, as we start to formulate questions and think about kind of the end result that we're looking for, how much of a difference is there potentially between like qualitative data and quantitative data? Does research all have to be quantitative because then you can measure it and then go, okay, here are my numbers. Um, Or, or can you maybe harder? I don't know to, to look at other things as well. Well, it's interesting that you asked that. I mean, our basic question, I was thinking about it while, I was, while Matt was talking as well, too. You know, what kind of drove us to this in the first place is a very simple question in my mind when I was talking um, with Elaine about this. We were wondering, does COVID make you want to be a physician more or less? Yeah. That's essentially simple. what we're asking. OK. Yeah. And if you were just talking with your friends about this over lunch or whatever, you may say, well, you know, I think actually it makes me want to become a doctor more because I see all the great things that they do. They were the ones that um, were what called essential workers from the start. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just really cool what they do. They're really helping out people when nothing else matters, but your health. The flip side of course, is that you may feel, Oh, well, I feel like my distrust in the healthcare system is growing. I don't know who to believe. Um, Maybe there's information about vaccines that you weren't too sure about. Or maybe you just didn't, it made you want to become a doctor less because you kind of got the feeling that people didn't care about the, the well-being, mental and physical well-being of healthcare workers as much, right? There's kind of all these different perspectives. Um, and we we're trying to address that in our survey as well. To answer your question, I mean, I think there always has to be some element of quantitative data because we need to say, hey, this percentage of respondents said this, this uh, has increased from what they considered at baseline. But you can get numbers, obviously, by asking more qualitative comments. And in fact, there are many projects out there that literally use free text comments as part of the research as well. Now, that's something that I don't think you can really put a numerical value on. Um, But having someone kind of free text responses, some comments with directed questions, of course, um, I think that could also provide a lot of value for projects. So it kind of goes both ways, but certainly there needs to be some quantitative data, I think. Yeah. So, so with our survey that we're doing again, premedsurvey.com, the goal, as you were just mentioning, Tiffany, with the pandemic, did it increase your desire to be a physician or did it decrease? And it's a very simple question to ask. And most, I I think great research comes from just very simple questions. And then you have to figure out through the scientific method, how how do you uh, come up with a hypothesis and ask the questions? And that's what we're talking about today. So, so that's, that's awesome. So Matt, when we put together a survey and, and we had several meetings of how we're asking questions and what questions to include, what questions to, to not include, and you, you finally go, okay, I think these are the core questions that I want to ask. What's next? So, you know, next you have to find a social media mogul like yourself, <laughs> Ryan. To, uh, oh, you need a podcaster. Okay. Every, every research <laughs> to, needs a podcaster. To contact. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I think that the, the logistics are after you have come up with a survey You've pre-tested it. You've, you know. What does that mean? What does pre-test mean? Yeah. So pre-testing is, so pre-testing at a a very superficial level, you're looking at, so if you're, let's say you're working with an electronic survey, like ours is an online survey. Mm. Does the flow, does, are there, you know, if you click on a button, does the survey just end abruptly? (laughs) Right. So just is is the, does Does the survey have a flow? Does it work? 
are there typos, right? Like that's part of pretesting, mm-hmm. but pretesting is also, you know, do the questions logically flow together? Um, are they, are the different modules arrayed in such a way where if somebody is thinking about this topic, it naturally lends itself to thinking about another topic, right? And so from my perspective, as somebody who's not a doctor, who was never a pre-med, um, I wish that in all of my previous research, I was working with a team of doctors who could say like, oh boy, these questions are terrible. This is one it was like <laughs> at all when I was, you know, an undergrad. Um, and so after you've gone through that process exhaustively, um, you know, it's, sometimes you'll pilot a study with a smaller subpopulation of the larger group that you're interested in. Um, and then typically you would administer it to the population that you're interested in. So yeah. all of, all of your listeners, yeah. um, ideally, I'm sure all, I'm sure every single one is going to take it to help you out. Of course. Um, but that, that's generally the the steps. How many people do, should a, a student let, let's go back to my, my endocrinology example of like, Hey, I, I want to study income levels and blood sugar control. Once someone starts a medication, is is the the four patients I saw on that one day is that enough like do I need every patient impaneled in the whole northeast like how do I figure out how many how many people I should be trying to recruit for a research study well so you know in the world of medicine you you all use like randomized control trials and uh you don't need as big of a population in that instance right Mm -hmm. um essentially the, the closer you can get to a real experiment, the smaller your sample size generally can be because you can, right? If, you, if you're randomizing a treatment in a population, you can say, you know, net of all these other different factors, this is the effect of this uh, treatment for diabetes outcomes, right? For blood sugar levels. But the, the social world is complicated and it's complex, right? And your experiences are different from other people's. And even if we might share some commonalities, there might be all these other ways that we're, we're different. So when you're trying to, you know, I think the, the notion of like proving causation in the social sciences is often very much overstated, mm-hmm. but I think there's still a lot of utility in looking descriptively at correlation. So, you know, people for whom, you know, people who have experienced this setback in life, are they more likely to get into medical school or not, right? Those are questions that in the past I might be interested in. It's often the case that you're going to need a a bigger sample. And so, you know, a useful way, if if you're interested in trying to figure out specifically what's the sample size that we need, you know, something that you would do is try to do like a power calculation where maybe you pre-test a survey, you identify an effect size, and then you... um, you calculate how many people you would need to, to survey to see if that is, if that's a true effect size um, to actually have confidence in, in that estimate. Yeah. Um, for our purposes, right. So for a social science type survey like this one, you're hoping for probably in most instances, a few thousand people to, mm-hmm. to take a survey, a lot. which is harder and harder and harder to accomplish in this world where we're constantly being bombarded by requests to take uh, <laughs> surveys. Yes. And, and when Instagram and TikTok are calling you. Um, yes, to, to him. <laughs> so, so Tiffany, as, as you and Elaine were thinking about asking this question and figuring out um, where you want to go with it and uh, the, the types of questions potentially you want to ask, do you have, uh, skipping ahead a little bit, do you have an end goal in mind in terms of like, ooh, this, this research would be perfect for, for this specific publication? Or do you do the research first, figure out if you get good data, and then you'll figure out the rest later? Well, I think in general, whenever you start a project, you should have an idea of what your goals are, right? Not every project needs to be publishable. Um, some, some will make a big effect with your faculty, with patient care, and that's, that's enough, honestly. Um, for us, you know, I think that our goal, obviously, is with publication. There's a lot of medical education journals, um, of which this could be great for. There's also some social sciences and that sort of thing that I think Matt is, uh, would be very well versed in helping us with. But I think in general, when you're starting a project, um, having a goal of what journal you want to submit it to, assuming that publication is your goal. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that's interesting that I've kind of learned um, 
is that you always hear about, you know, the best journals with what we call the highest impact factor um, in whatever field that you're in. And those are obviously the journals that are hardest um, to, they have a very low rate of acceptance, okay? So you can always aim for those journals, for instance, but one kind of piece of advice I wanna give to anybody who is doing research um, is that if you get rejected to not give up, okay? Because it happens to all of us. And it's kind of the idea of shooting for the stars, you know, and if you don't reach that ultimate level of whatever you're doing, there are many other journals that are also excellent quality of excellent quality that will accept uh, your research. Another piece of advice I would say as well, too, is that let's say you can't get something accepted as what we call original research, which is kind of like what we what we kind of all consider to be in the big bucket term of research. You can always reframe something as a letter to the editor, as some sort of case series. So there's many different ways um, to get your work out there. For us, you know, I think that we will have, I'm hoping that we will have enough data and, um, you know, substantial results that we can make original research paper out of this. And certainly I believe that our goal will be uh, publication. And then also just sharing this, you know, through social media, through your podcast, sharing the results with people who are currently applying to medical school or those that want to. So that's really kind of the the tangible effect that we want to have with that paper. So it's not just, it's not just a selfish endeavor to get something published. It's to really make a difference and to share this information for those that are in this tumultuous time where many things are being demanded of them. You're trying to meet others' requirements. You don't know if this is the right field for you, that sort of thing. We yeah. want to be able to help those individuals out. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I think too many pre-meds think that, re, uh, that research is only beneficial in terms of helping to get into med school or beyond. Mm-hmm. If you have a publication, I'm just like, there, there's so much luck there's as a so pre-med student that, that goes into being able to publish that it's like, don't worry about that. Get the experience, learn, of course. enjoy. So, so Matt, we're going to push out again, premedsurvey.com. We're going to push this out. And hopefully again, we get thousands of, of students that are going to take the 15, 20, 30 minutes to, to do this survey. Is it like, okay, we close the survey and then it's like, okay, we got the data. We're, we're good. Here, here are the results. Like, it seems like th- what we've done to get to this point today, if, if I were to assume, is the easy part, right? That's just the tip of the iceberg. And then everything else is below the water. What, what's, what's there for, for you, for us on the back end, once we have all this data? Yeah, you know, so I guess what I would say is... I- I think that the survey design is the hardest part, even if it's, if it's not in terms of the hours that you might log in putting a survey together, just because everything, everything flows from the quality of data that you collect. Nice. So it's, Um, it's, it's like that old, uh, that old saying, like if you, if you give a man an ax and tell him to chop it down in four hours, he'll spend the first three, like sharpening his blade or whatever. Yeah. I I completely subscribe to that. You know, we, Again, because we, we're very fortunate to live in this time where we're not doing these calculations by hand, and unless you're using, you don't have an abacus you know, back there. Well, <laughs> it, you know, it's in the shelf that you can't see okay. in, uh, in our Zoom meeting here. But uh, you know, like there are people who use supercomputers today, certainly to yeah. do analytics, but they're crunching like billions upon billions of of numbers or input or cases, right? And so for your run-of-the-mill study that med- you know, medical doctors might be conducting today or social scientists, like we can do this on personal computers instantaneously. Nice. And so the actual, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> when I talked to, you know, like my thesis advisor and she was talking about having to like map out all of her analyses, then you go to the supercomputer on campus where you have to reserve it for a half hour <laughs> on like Friday at 2 a.m., we live in very different times. And so I, this is something where I'm, when I work with undergrads and we collect survey data that the vast majority of time in terms of data analysis is spent cleaning the data, which is, it's going to be a little bit different depending on what software package or, you know, statistical software package you plan to use. Um, but the actual, you know, like whether you're, you're looking at basic descriptive statistics or you're running more sophisticated regression analyses or other forms of causal inference, like, that's stuff that you can do in minutes now on your nice. lap, like your laptop. 
you could do it on your phone, right? But I, <laughs> and so that's, I do think that with the proliferation of data that we have, it's so important to be thoughtful at the outset, right? Because if the, if the data that you collect is not very good, then you can, the fanciest methods mm-hmm. are not going to, you yeah. know, make, make it any better. Yeah. And so, okay. um, and I think what's true as well, and something that you said earlier is that the, you know, sometimes the most elegant questions are also the simplest ones. Mm. And I think the same is true of, of data analysis too, and that we, because we have the option to use these very uh, sophisticated, fancy methods that that becomes a crutch. And the reality is that there, there's a lot that we can glean just looking at very, you know, trend lines and basic descriptive statistics. And that information is the raw data is, is the most important part. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, in terms of the hours spent, maybe we cumulatively spent less designing the survey than it's going to take to clean this data potentially. But, but I think that really is the, the key to any research project is, are you asking the right questions and everything flows from that. Nice. So Tiffany, what's your pitch as we wrap up here for the students listening to this to go to premedsurvey.com and, and help us understand the pandemic and, and being a premed. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, I think that this is, first of all, it's a short survey, number one. Um, and there are, there are some benefits of, um, you know, submitting your responses online, which, you know, uh, Ryan can go over as well, too. Um, But the most important thing is that we want to hear from you. We want to hear from your perspectives. We want to hear about how you deal with stress, what causes you about what causes you worry about getting into med school? What's your experience, Um, you know, with the MCAT, with preparation? How do you see yourself compared to your peers if you ever compare yourself all these things um, that are not necessarily captured in the med school application but are so so vital and important to your development as a person and ultimately as a medical professional we want to hear your thoughts and your perspectives with our research we're going to make it better even better uh, for future generations as well and honestly a lot of what we're talking about in this survey is going to affect you if you were to get into med school at your next stage, getting into residency, which is something obviously you don't have to worry about now. Um, but these are all important life qualities uh, that you will be dealing with for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, so, so help us out. And we want to hear from you, you know, for sure. Yeah. And, and entering a survey, completing the survey, you'll be entered to win either a hundred dollar gift card or uh, one of five 45 minute calls with me if you want, if, if that means anything to you. Um, Matt, again, as we wrap up here, you mentioned cleaning the data uh, a couple times. And, and I'm assuming when you say clean the data, that's not like cooking the books so we get the answers we want. Um, correct, correct. How can a student, as they complete the survey, make it as easy as possible for us to have nice, clean data at the end of the day? I don't want anyone taking this survey to have to worry about that one bit. I'll, I'll, I'll take answer. care of all that. You <laughs> just, you know, again, uh, I think we all benefit from science and yeah. even, you know, social science is included in that too. And so other than, you know, one of these five lucky souls who will get one-on-one consultations with Ryan, or maybe you'll win the hundred dollar gift card. Um, it's, it's not a 30 minute survey. It's much, it'll take you much faster than that. Also, you know, these young people are much more adept than we are at navigating these surveys, I think too. Um, but you're, you're contributing to the scientific enterprise, you know, and we're, we're, you are being part, you're part of a project that's furthering knowledge that will, as Tiffany said, be beneficial to other people. I mean, uh, I, at, um, college where I work presently, you know, like I'm on the, I'm on the health professions advising committee. And so, you know, we contribute to these committee letters, um, which is a whole different ball of wax. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed is my third year and, you know, we're, you're starting to see these applicants who have experienced a lot of personal hardship and adversity because of the pandemic folks who have not been able to you know, get shadowing, uh, opportunities or to volunteer in their community. And, and it's not, you know, sometimes it's because those options aren't available, but sometimes it's because they have someone at home who is immunocompromised, right? And they can't, they can't avail themselves of those opportunities. And so I think it's really important 
at this juncture where we have such limited information on what pre-meds have been through over the past two years to be able to, right, even to accumulate data for a report that we can show to medical schools, for instance, to say like, this is what people are dealing with and this is how it's impacting their medical school aspirations, right? Or, or whether or not they think that they can make this career a reality because of all these other things going on. And, and to this point, right, that evidence is sort of anecdotal, but I think with the, you know, the accumulation of knowledge in this study is probably going to be part of, I'm sure there are other people out there who are studying similar issues in undergraduate medical education, graduate medical education. Hopefully it can inform those decision makers and policy makers to give them a better sense of what is it that students have been dealing with over the past few years and how, how do we need to take that into account as we recruit um, and cultivate this next generation of physicians, right? And, and kind of consider all the things that you've been through these past few years. All right. So there you have it. Again, Dr. Tiffany Chan assistant clinical professor, Department of Radiology. She is a breast radiologist and Dr. Matthew Grace, assistant professor of sociology at Hamilton College in New York, talking all about research. And hopefully what this allowed you to do is to potentially open up some thinking when it comes to things that you're seeing day in and day out to potentially make some research out of. One of the most overrated parts of a pre-med application, I think, according to pre-meds, is research. Yes, research is very, very important for residency applications. Research less so important for medical school applications. But at the end of the day, the whole medical school world, all of life is about thinking about questions and thinking about answers. So hopefully this opened up your mind to how to ask those questions, and potentially think about how to start answering those questions and who maybe you can reach out to if you want to go explore some research. I encourage you to go check out premedsurvey.com. Again, that's premedsurvey.com. Take a few minutes, fill out that survey so that we can potentially see how this has impacted, how COVID has impacted the pre-med world so that we can inform advisors, pre-health advisors, we can inform medical schools, and we can potentially publish this data later on. So if you would be so kind, if you have found any of the things that I've done helpful for you, please be so kind, take a few minutes and go to premedsurvey.com. And when you do enter that survey, fill out that survey, you'll be entered to win. Again, a $100 gift card to Amazon or one of five free 45-minute consultation calls, just advising calls with me. Again, premedsurvey.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.